Well, if you'd stand one more time, we're now going to invite Brother Ari Prado is part of the family of God. He's just a family member here at Cornerstone. And that, that is not a statement of familiarity. That is a statement of respect. Brother Prado, come and preach to us. Let's give a hand clap to the Lord. Amen. Let's give Jesus a great big hand clap of praise. Come on. Hallelujah. Oh, let's praise him. Let's magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. And uh, going to go ahead and just preach. It's good to be here with all of you and good to be here with the Mayo family. Love and appreciate them. Amen. I feel like this morning is a special time with the Lord. Amen. And uh, I want to I share with you what God has put on my heart. So let's get right into this book of Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. We're going to start reading at verse number 7. Everybody say amen when they're there. The Bible says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, Lord said to Eliaphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right. Everyone say right. Some translations use the word accurate. You have not spoken that which is right or accurate, as my servant Job has. And I want to talk to you just for a few moments this morning. on this very simple subject, the importance of right speech during a trial. The importance of right speech during a trial. If you want a condensed title, you just use the fine art of trial talking. (laughs) Hallelujah. Jesus, I feel your presence this morning. We need to hear from you. God, we come here every Sunday to hear from you. God, we need you today more than the air that we breathe. Jesus, you're everything to us. God, we've been high, we've been low, but you've always been there for us. And today, we pray that your healing power would flow throughout this congregation. Today I pray, God, that our speech would be corrected and that our mouths would open up and give you high praise and that you would get the glory you deserve out of our lives. Jesus, I feel your power. And I thank you, God, that you're in our lives. We give you glory, honor, and praise. And somebody shout amen. Let's give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. 
Oh, come on, it feels good in the house of the Lord. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. The importance of right speech during a trial. The book of Job, as many of you might know, is categorized under the writings or the poetry books of the Bible. It is really, however, unlike any book in the Bible. Its wording, its word phrases, its even the spelling in its original language is unparalleled by any other book in the Bible. These days, people don't really preach too much out of the book of Job unless they feel that there are certain things that people are going through in which the 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 words of this book might speak to them. But there was a time when the mortality rates of people were very low. And they preached out of Job a lot. It used to be a very popular book in churches because people were dying at 40 and 50. Women were dying in childbirth. So the book of Job was an often visited book. Today it's not so much like that. But I do want to take a few moments to talk to you out of this wonderful book. After the trial in Job's life is ended, God commands Job's friends to go back and apologize for all the things that they had said during the trial. But God commends Job for speaking the things that are right or that are accurate. There are many wrong and inaccurate things that we can all say when we're going through a trial. Now, when I make a statement like that, often our our minds run to the obvious phrases and words that no Christian should say. But I want to go a little deeper than that. Because the fact is that as humans, we have learned some very clever ways of using our speech. We use our speech, even polite speech, to mask our pain. We use our speech often to even thwart unsolicited advice or therapy or sympathy. We don't want people to come at us with uh, their advice for our problems. And I've been in church long enough now to tell you that I've talked to people that are going through some horrendous times, but there will be no kind of expression, let alone confession, of how much of a burden they're under. They don't want anybody to know. Some people feel that it's just flat out wrong to talk about their problems. They feel like it's a form of complaining to express that they are broken. And at this point, the many common phrases that we're all probably used to and that we've all heard are really not that important. What is important is for us to break down the idea that it's wrong for us to tactfully and consciously confess our hurt and our pain to someone else. It's okay to tell somebody, I'm not feeling very good today. It's okay to tell somebody, 
I don't think I've ever felt like this before in all of my life. I don't think it's okay to post it on Facebook. I don't think it's okay to hold everybody up at the lobby, amen, with it. But I think it's okay to have a confidant, to have a friend. In fact, Proverbs 17 and 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The very purpose of the person in the pew next to you is to be there for you in times of adversity. That is why God has brought the church together. And that is why the Bible does not say that we are just friends. We are brethren. Amen. We are brethren. And we are friends at all times. And I have to be there for you. And you got to be there for me at all times. Good times. Bad times. Sick times. Healthy times. Fearful times. Joyful times. Broken times. Down times. Oh, come on, somebody. Let's praise him. Come on, somebody praise him right now. Come on, praise God. This is the purpose of the person in the pew next to you. This is your purpose. Amen. It's to be there for your brother and your sister, including in the hard times. Speech is without question a very powerful thing. And there is a need for us to learn how to talk in times of trials. Words are powerful. And if we can learn how to use our words in trials, we can say things that will not only please God, but they will also avoid all the dangers that are associated with closeted emotions. There is a way to get it out and still give God praise. There is a way to talk about it and still worship. There is a way to say things, amen, to where you can get it off your chest, but still come out with your hands up. There is a way to talk in a trial. Yes, there is. The book of Job explores the dynamics of speech during a trial. Both the speech that sounds good but is not good, and the speech that neither sounds good or is good. And you have to remember that there are 29 chapters of the book of Job that are a minefield of trouble. You don't want to quote from them. They sound good, but they're not good. You don't want to live by them because they sound good, but they are not good. And in some cases, they're altogether not good at all. In fact, Job's friends who speak during these 29 chapters say so many damaging things that God orders Job in the chapter we read beginning our sermon this morning Amen. To pray for them. To pray for them. To pray for them. But let's explore this just for a few seconds. Let's talk a little bit about Job's wife. Job's wife was definitely going through a crushing trial of her own. A lot of times we we look at Job and we say how horrible things befell him. But the truth of the matter is, is he had a wife that was going through all of that with him. In chapter 1, Job's wife watches her children die. In chapter 1, Job's wife watches the house that she raised her children in collapse. In chapter 1, amen, Job's wife watches all the substance that they had, all the good things that they had ever owned go up in flames. And finally, in chapter 2, 
Amen. She watches her husband become engulfed in disease and sickness, and she snaps. And when she snaps, she says these words in the second chapter in the 10th verse, curse God and die. And it's here that we have to read very carefully because it's also here that for the first time, Job says one of the most accurate and right things that he says during his whole trial. In 2 and 10, he says unto his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And the Bible says in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I want to talk to you just for a few more moments this morning that at no point in your trial is it okay to trade in your faith for the words of the foolish. At no point in your trial is it okay to stop talking like a believer. At no point in your trials is it okay to speak as foolish people speak. At no point in our pain and our misery, at no point in our crying, at no point in our lack of money, in our lack of health, in our lack of friendships even, is it okay to start talking as the foolish people talk. Job did not say, you are a fool. That's not what he was saying to his wife. He was simply saying, I'm hearing you talk in a way that the people in our house never talked. I'm hearing you talk in a way, amen, that we, as, as if we don't even know God. I'm hearing you talk in a way, amen, that I've never heard anybody on this property under my care, under God's blessings ever talk. This is not original with us. Where did you learn that? Why are you saying those things? That is not how we talk around here. That is not the kind of stuff we say around around here. We glorify God in the good times and in the bad times. We glorify God when we're up and we glorify God when we're Oh, come on somebody. Let's praise him right now. Let's praise him. Come on. Come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's give him praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalms 14 and 1 and Psalms 53 and 1 both say, The fool has said in their heart, there is no God. Many theologians believe that, that Job's wife might have been imitating and aping the speech of a tribal pagan people that lived around them. And the custom of these, these people was that every time their prayers were not answered, they'd throw their God in a fire. They'd take their idols and throw them in flames because the prayers weren't, get, weren't getting answered. The situation was not coming to a close the way they liked. Things were not ending on the note they wanted. And so they would discard not just their gods, but their beliefs, their faith, everything would go in the fire. Listen, when you're going through the fire, don't throw your faith in the fire. Your faith will get you through the fire. Your faith will carry you through the fire. Your faith your faith will make sure that you go through the fire and come out not even smelling like smoke. That's how powerful faith is. 
I'm sorry if you lost your car, but keep your faith. I'm sorry if you just lost your home, but keep your faith. I'm sorry if your boyfriend just dumped you, but keep your faith. I'm sorry if your girl... I'm sorry if your crush just left, but keep your faith. I'm sorry if you're driving a car that if God doesn't do something, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad in just a few weeks, but keep your faith. I'm sorry if you're sick, but keep your faith. Please, it's going to get you through every hospital visit. It's going to get you through every circumstance. It's going to get you through every situation. I'm sorry if your kids backslid this year, but keep your faith. I'm sorry if your parents backslid this year, but keep your faith. Your faith will get them back. Your faith will bring them in. Your faith will keep you strong. Your f- Don't trade in your faith now. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Praise him, praise him. I feel the Holy Ghost talking to us. He I'm not kidding. The other day, uh, I had a very situ- very serious situation, a very serious reoccurring situation. Uh, and I won't go into it. There's nothing I don't feel like I could share publicly. I just, for the sake of time. But it was very serious and it was reoccurring. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just not going to stay up and sit on the couch and pace the living room floor. I figure, Sister Mayo, if I'm going to be up, I might as well pray. <laughs> Uh, I might as well pray. And so I, I just started praying, four in the morning. I wasn't trying to be spiritual. I just, I couldn't sleep. And the situation kept reoccurring and progressively getting worse. There's got to come a point where you just get sick of it all. There's no doubt in my mind. You know, the children of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years. That's a lot of pharaohs. That's a lot of pharaohs. In a time when people probably only lived to 50, 60. That's a lot of pharaohs in 400 years. And and I'm telling you, when they got out of Egypt, they always wanted to go back. You know why? Because they probably thought, you know what the problem is, is the pharaoh. We need a Democrat pharaoh. We need a Republican pharaoh. We need a Tea Party pharaoh. If we could just get the right pharaoh in the pyramid, everything will be fine. And God said, no more pharaohs. No. Well, Joseph got a, no more pharaohs. Well, no more pharaohs. Well, at least they would bury us. No more pharaohs. At least there was garlic and cloves. No more pharaohs. It's you got to understand there's got to come a point where we all say no more of this. I'm going to go to God and pray until this situation, even if it doesn't change, I change. Even if it doesn't turn around, I turn around. But I want a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, a new way of being. And I want no more Pharaohs. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm... Somebody help me preach this morning. Come on. 
No more of them. No more cracking the whip over you. No more making bricks for somebody else. No more of it. No more of it. I'm telling you. Let's lift our hands right now and pray. Jesus. 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 Come on. Right now, I, I, I'm telling you this might sound odd to you, but I can feel the Holy Ghost moving throughout this congregation and touching people's lips. I can feel the Holy Ghost touching people's mouths. I can feel the Holy Ghost about to change people's speech. I don't know what you've been going through, but one thing will change today. You're going to come out of here talking different. You're going to come out of here saying different things. You're going to come out of here with a different perspective on your circumstance, on your situation, and you will talk different. And those of you who are willing, God will touch you. I'm going to say this and quickly move along because this is not my targeted audience. But there are people here that are going through some very serious trials. But let me say this. There are others of you, you are creating your own trials. And the reason you are creating your own trials is because you keep compromising between pharaohs. You keep saying no more cocaine, just marijuana. No more marijuana, just a little bit of liquor. Well, my other boyfriend used to beat me. This one just cheats on me and beating is better than... And God is just waiting for you to say, no more Pharaoh. No more of them. I'm not comparing whether one cheated on me and one beated me. I'm not trying to go from cocaine to marijuana. I'm not trying to go, amen, from beer to non-alcoholic beer. I want no more of this. I want no more of this. I want out. 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 Come on, do you want out? Do you want out or do you like where you're at? Do you want out or are you comparing pharaohs? Do you want out or are you trying to just, are you just trying to toggle between the gradient of two lesser evils? Come on, you got to say, I want out of this and I want out of this now. I'm walking out of the doors of this church and I'm getting rid of the man I'm with right now because he ain't my husband anyways and it's all going down the same path. He's ruining my kids' lives. He's ruining my life. I don't care if he's not as bad as their dad. I'd rather be alone than be in this hellish situation. I'd rather be on my own than be going through this. I'm tired of, and if you'll walk out, God will show up. I promise you God will blow your mind and give you a life like you've never had and give you a blessing like you ain't never Somebody help me right now. Somebody help me. Come on. Come on. Come on. Job 7.3, he says, I have been allotted months, months, everyone say months. I have been allotted months of futility and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. Job 29 and 2, he says, oh, that I were as in months, everyone say months. I were as in months past, 
as in the days when God watched over me. Most theologians take these two verses and say, Job's trial was probably only several months. Anything less than a year. Job himself says it was months. And so when Job's wife says, you know what? Sixty good years. And these months erased the whole thing. He says, no, we don't talk like that. That's not how we balance the books. We don't just look at deposits. We look at withdrawals too. Because you can't balance the book just looking at deposits. You got to balance the books looking at withdrawals and deposits and and, 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 and bank fees, hallelujah. Amen. There's just a way that you balance things out. There's a way that you count it all joy. And when you count it all joy, you got to do subtraction sometimes. And sometimes you got to do adding. But what we don't do is take a few months and say that God, amen, that all of God's goodness is now null and void. No, no, we turn our speech around and we say all these years. You know what you do in a trial? You look at the past. You bring it to the present. And you hope for the future. You say, all these years has God been good to us. All these years did God help us pay the bills. All these years the mortgage, amen, got paid. All these years we prayed for the kids to go to that school. All these years the medical bills got paid. Sure, I wish I didn't have to get any treatment. But all these years there's been groceries in the fridge. All these years, there was a... There was a God that never failed us. And so we bring all these years to these few bad months. And we say, God is going to be good again. God is going to raise me up again. God is going to touch me again. God is going to bless me again. God is going to help me again. God is going to... Yes, come on, soak that in. Soak that in. Soak that in. That's it, sister. Soak that in. Come on, open your mouth. That's what we want to change. That's what we want to change. Come on. Somebody give God a good hand praise. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Come on. I feel something beautiful in the house right now. Woo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, Job. Job believed that life and death were an inextricable part of a relationship with God. He didn't believe God gives me life, devil takes away. He said living with God 
encompasses everything. Walking with God. Walking with God is good for my day of birth and it's good for my day of death. God gives life and God takes life away and God gives and God retracts and blessed be the name. Come on. Is there anybody here that wants to speak right things in the middle of their trial? Is there anybody here that wants to speak accurately about God? Come on, I'm tired of having this crayon figure God. I don't want this caricature God. I want to see God. Amen. You know, it's not to say that Job didn't gripe. He just griped right. It's not to say that Job didn't complain because he did. But he complained right. I'm not saying that. And I know there's probably people thinking, well, I could think of a few verses where I never would have said. Well, Job said it and God said that all his speech was right. And I want to clarify something. And I'm just about to close, believe it or not. I think one month, just one, of burying your loved ones watching your memories go up in smoke, losing everything. is brutal. It's crushing. I think without question, even one month of that happening will be the longest month of all of your life. So I don't want to, I don't think Job is this fictitious character who didn't have feelings and he just, and whoever the author of the book is was able to write about this, you know, character who just had this high moral fabric. I don't think that's that. I think Job really hurt. I think Job really had boils. I think Job really went to a lot of funerals. But I also believe that Job shares with us a powerful revelation. And that is this, that there is a goodness of God that is exclusive to bad times. There is a goodness of God that is exclusive to bad times. There is a goodness of God that shows up at the funeral that doesn't show up anywhere else. There is a goodness of God that shows up at the hospital room that doesn't show up anywhere else. There is a goodness of God that shows up at court that doesn't show up anywhere else. There is a goodness of God that shows up to meetings where our heads hang low and we know we're being tried. There is a goodness of God, amen, that is exclusive to dark moments and dark times, amen. It doesn't show up everywhere. It's not everywhere. It can't be found at any place. It is there for the low times and the bad times. It is there, amen, in the valleys. There is a lily that's only in the valley, hallelujah. There is a beauty, amen, way down there in the trenches where everything seems like a gutter, amen. There is a goodness of God that shows up at all the worst and most horrible tragic events of the human experience, and you don't see that everywhere else. You don't see, and that's why we have to realize that no matter where I'm at, no matter my station and my position, Amen. There's a goodness of God that's going to reveal itself to me if I'll just watch what I say, if I just talk the right things, if I just realize the importance of giving God praise for all his goodness, if I'll just... You know, 
And I'm, 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 I'm closing the iPad here. There is an unexplainable, ineffable God that we serve. And his goodness is unexplainable. And the things he can allow to befall us are unexplainable. You know, towards the end of Job's trial, God shows Job two magnificent, if I could use the word, but they were really frightening creatures. Nobody really knows what they are. When you read about them, they almost sound like dragons or dinosaurs of some sort. But they're massive. And they're frightening. And God says, I made those too. Those big scary things that swim in the deep. The big creature that growls at night. That big, haunting, massive, ominous presence. I control things there too. And so no matter how engulfed you feel, and no matter, no matter what you think you're facing off, I want you to know, God is in control. And at the same time, if I could just leave you with this, at the same time, God shows up at the end of the trial and he starts blessing Job wildly, lavishly, uncontrollably. And you know what he never does? He never tells Job, you know what, Job, I'm paying you back for all you've been through because that's not what God is doing. God is just saying, I will have mercy on who I will have mercy. Come on, how many, you, you mean to tell me that you think all the goodness you've received up until now, you've received it and God gave it to you, amen, for some reason that you can point back to? No, 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 all the goodness you've received right now, God showered it on you, amen, when you didn't deserve it and you didn't do anything to earn it. All the jobs you've had that were worth having, the ones that, come on. The good health you did have all these years and the good times you did have all these years and the Come on, all of that, all of that was God giving you stuff you didn't deserve. You can't explain it. I can't explain it. But God, God is the author of it all. God is the author of it all. God is the author of it all. And he doesn't have to fill in all the blanks and he doesn't have to fill in all the gaps and he doesn't have to explain all his goodness and he doesn't have to explain the valley of the shadow of death and he doesn't have to explain health and he doesn't have to explain Oh, come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's all stand. Come on, I want you to stand to your feet, and we're going to praise God right now for 10 seconds for his unexplainable goodness. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Is there anybody that can clap and say the Lord gives, the Lord takes away? Bless him. 
Come on, Cornerstone, there's something wonderful happening. Hallelujah. Our speech is being changed. Our speech is being changed. Come on, there's a praise that wants to come out of your mouth right now that has nothing to do with the single possession you have. And it has nothing to do with the hardships you're going through. Come on, there's a shout that's waiting to come out of your mouth right now that has nothing to do with anything you've had or had taken away. It has nothing. Come on, come on, bask in this. This is what your soul needs. tell you something. There's testimonies in here. Ain't nobody got enough guts to tell them. In fact, I don't recommend you do tell them because some of you were in sin and God showed up in your gutter. That's how good God is. There's people God reached way back and pulled you way in. There's some of you, you'd never dare tell anybody how you made your way into church. 
But I'm telling you, there's a goodness of God that's exclusive to bad times. There's a goodness of God at all stations and at all places of life. And it's enough that it should make us want to pray. And it's enough that it should make us want to lift our hands. And it's enough that it should make us perpetually, continually, unendingly have his praises on our lips. There's a goodness of God that is so good even in the bad times, hallelujah, that it should have all of us here, amen, clapping a little bit, that it should have all of us here, 